Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. And that ping was my wife texting me. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by our very good friends at Integrity Pro Consulting. We love Integrity Pro Consulting because their deep focus on organizational change management. You know that feeling when you've reached the end of the project, but the whole thing still feels like a failure? Look, like it or not, Sizable ServiceNow deployments are going to mean big changes, even if the outcomes are mostly positive. And change is always risky and high friction. That's why you need organizational change management. And OCM should be part of every ServiceNow implementation. So if you agree with that, check out Integrity Pro's links in the description below. Okay, what's today's episode all about, Corey? So today, Duke, we're going to give everyone here a product owner bootcamp sample. Right, we're going to talk about what what's the difference between a product owner and a architect or a architect, and we're going to just lay it out there on the things that make a successful ServiceNow implementation from standpoints other than just development and architecture. Yeah, and for some context here, like Corey and I talk a lot about architecture, architecture, architecture. Right, it's the reason we started this podcast, but. We also know of several customers who have people who are like the product owner and they're different people than the architect. And while there's huge overlaps, perhaps, between what each of these roles do, we thought it might be cool to kind of deconstruct this a little bit. And, you know, because you could easily go from being the architect to being the product owner. And how does that change your game? Or maybe you could aspire to be the product owner and, and not the architect. And, and how could you get there? So that's what this episode is all about today. So we're going to kick this thing off by talking about the difference between a architect and a product owner, mm-hmm. right? In a lot of places, your ServiceNow architect and your owner are going to be two different people. They don't always have to be, but they typically will be. And while the job qualifications um, and responsibilities for both of these positions can be similar, there is one very distinct difference between the two, right? And that is the product owner needs to absolutely know the business, They need to have a firm understanding on the ultimate value proposition of ServiceNow inside of the enterprise, right? What are you trying to get out of it with each individual process? What's driving, what was, what drove the acquisition of ServiceNow and what is driving the continued improvement of the ownership of the platform, right? Like ultimately all of that is being driven or should be driven by the business. Sometimes it is not. And that's, you know, problem number one when that, when that doesn't happen. But ultimately, the business is spending a lot of money on a platform that's going to give them hopefully a whole lot of value in return, right? But you cannot realize that value unless you have someone as a steward of the platform who mm-hmm. knows the business, who knows service now, and can mesh those two things together to keep the platform you know, thriving and to deliver that value back to the business. You said something in there that I'm just like, I'm, I think we're going to have an argument about. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> the very first one in 38 episodes. Um, did you say that you feel most organizations separate the architect and the product owner? Um, I, did I say that? Yes, but I and the clients I've worked with, yes, those are typically different. It might be a um, difference in scale. Maybe it's the bigger clients that I've worked with that have a, both a product owner and an architect. But yeah, most of those, then and I think about it, typically have an owner, you know, who is a little less technical and then an architect who is a little more technical hmm. and, and does a little bit more of the setting up the, the technical pace for the platform while the owner, that's more of the, you know, internal business political pace. 
Yeah, you know, I was about to like dispute that. And then I'm thinking back over my experience and just, okay, no, you're, you're right. I think the places that have enough funding and enough, enough ambition on the platform to have a team will usually have somebody who owns ServiceNow and probably owns it amongst other things too, right? Yeah, typically. And then they have the architect and then the rest of the team. And I think there's, there's just some scale at which one person is everybody. Yeah. Right. There's, so there's a level, right? And, and maybe, I don't know if you want to call it revenue run rate or if it's the you know the idea of what you're trying to get out of the platform where one person wears multiple hats. Like when I got into this business, I wore a ton of hats. I was probably, yeah. I was the product owner as well as the architect, but I had been at the company that I was working at for at, at that point, I think 10 years. So I had a really good grasp of the business. I had a really good grasp of all, all of the players. And I had a really good grasp of our processes, right? And then I also have happened to be highly technical, right? And so I picked up ServiceNow very, fairly quickly. And so I married those two together. And I think that's why the implementation became successful. But you don't necessarily need all of that to vest in one person, right? In fact, I think you're often not going to find that combination of qualities in one person. And if you do in this hot industry, you need to overpay them because they're going to leave. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this might be a great episode to listen to, even if you are the one person who's all hats, right? So you can optimize for that product ownership role, even if you're also the admin and the developer and everything else. And that's the thing, right? That, that is always, that is, um, that's the trap you always fall into when you're a technical person, is that you often optimize for the technical parts of the job mm -hmm. and not necessarily the non-tech parts, right? You know, when I, when I think about product owner, I think about the non-technical parts of the job more prominently than I do about the the more technical aspects of actually building the platform. I'm thinking about putting into place this framework that enables the building of the platform, that enables the resiliency of the platform, that ensures that we can drive that value through the technical aspects of this, that it will continue to stand up and that we can be plug and play, right? Like if I lose my architect, I can grab another architect off the shelf, right? Mm -hmm. And I can give them, this is our framework. This is what we've done. This is how we've done it. This is our mission statement, right? This is how we think about development. This is what the business values. These are our partners. This is how we've told them that they need to develop. These are how mm -hmm. our stories are written. You know, all of these things, I think all of these things, right? fall under the scope of product ownership and they need to be conveyed to the folks that plug into your, your ServiceNow program in order to keep that program successful. The point I want to bring up is I think the strongest area of differentiation between the architect and the product owner would be in that understanding the big picture, yes. right? Because the architect could be dictated to in terms of hey, we're trying to do this and you get us there the best way possible. But to some extent, the product owner has to be more aware of the big picture. And you, you just, I mean, we've said value probably a hundred times already <laughs> um, in this one episode, but more so than how are we going to build this the right way? You have to articulate the value of building it in the first place. Yes. Right. Like why should we do asset management on service now? Like we can just, you know, I got a friend at Maximo. He'll cut us a, a great deal on that asset management software. And the, the product owner is going to be the one that is going to have to articulate the value of doing it at all. And then the value of doing it on service now. Yes. Absolutely. And and that person won't necessarily know how the architect's going to have it built, right? Mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and to a certain extent, as long as they follow these predecided like guidelines on development on the platform, which ideally the architect has already has some some input into and probably define most of it, 
mm-hmm. right? Like then, that, then everything's going to be fine. But the architect doesn't necessarily need to know the business cases for all of these things. That's the product owner's part. The product owner is going to go sit in these meetings with these folks and say, this is why we should build asset management on the ServiceNow platform and not buy it bespoke. Right. Right. And then we're going to say to the architect, okay, we're building our asset management. What's the best way to do that? There's also because an architect's time is always going to be consumed with like, how do we blank? Right. But the product owner gets to engage more in the why is the wrong word. Right. But there's there's kind of like a how do you say like like when ServiceNow just rolled out virtual agent, like the big rollout, right? Right. And it's the product owner who can now go back to the business and say, we have this exemplary new capability that we can yes. leverage for all this stuff. And that's where it's not only articulating the value to the business, but also being able to evangelize new value to the business. Like it's not always... Yes. The business that will come to the the product owner, but sometimes the product owner going back to the business saying, hey, got more value for you. And and let me tell you why that's really important, right? Because the product owner should already know about the problems that the business is experiencing. Yes. Yes. Bingo, bingo, right? <laughs> so that when virtual agent drops for service now... And we already know that we have this need for chatbot internally or externally or whatever. Now I can marry the two together as the product owner, hammer that out with the business on what that requirement looks like, and then take it back to my architect and say, okay, build this out. And this is why you can't like, there's a certain level of high level leadership that you cannot export to your vendors. Right? I think a lot of people want to just like, oh, let me just pay this vendor and they do all the thinking for me on service now. And it's just, they don't know the business well enough. They don't know the changes to your business well enough to stay on top of the platform plus your company, plus all the rest of their organizations that they support. Man, this is what that right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're done. All right, let's <laughs> But it, it is the tr- that's the truth, man. I mean, it's not 100% truth. When you outsource all of this stuff to your vendor, you lose all of this ability. You lose that they don't know your business, right? They, they probably have another 50 co- uh, clients just like you, right? That have also outsourced all of their stuff to ServiceNow. And so what you're getting is the generic cookie cutter version of Partner X is ServiceNow platform management. Yeah. And, and that's great. It's going to be... is going to be generic. It's going to mostly work and you'll have to work around some things. But it's not going to work specifically for you. And let's be real, ServiceNow is not cheap. It should work specifically for you at the price. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, tangent time. (laughs) Because this is really important too, because I think when people talk about best practices, right? They're not even talking about best. They're talking about most broadly accepted. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, They're talking about generic practices. That's right. <laughs> um, common practice. And even if I gave the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, maybe they are the best practice on average. What if you're not trying to be average? Like oh, I'm looking at somebody, I'm looking at, you know, the, the some metric for my industry, but what good does it do to be on the same level of, of, of my peers? What if I want a much better performance than my peer companies. I worked in media and advertising and we had a, a like a traditional service desk, right? Staff with locals, right? You call in, you get somebody who worked at your office on the phone with you and it was expensive as hell. 
And senior leadership was always like, how do we get rid of this? It's so expensive. And what they didn't see was how much the brands that we supported appreciated it because it was like white glove service all the time. Right. And 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 it facilitated tens of millions of dollars in business. It was like, oh, something's wrong with our projector. And somebody would be like running to the floor the next minute. Right. And it was like, why do you need a projector? Like, we just call the ADV department and wait. No, well, because we're pitching to Marlboro, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, it's a, and it's an $18 million deal. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, we you need know, it to work now. Yeah, it's like <laughs> smash through the windows as you rappel from the helicopter with a new projector. <laughs> <laughs> no, Where the hell was I going with this? Yeah, <laughs> so it's like I think if I – like in the product ownership role, it's the, it's this idea that – Okay, well, let's just implement best practice because we do this in incident management because everybody does that in incident. Well, maybe not us. Maybe we have a higher tier of support. Maybe we just Absolutely. have bigger, badder, more intense expectations on this level in our business. I think I think of uh, of best practice, right? Like from with this metaphor, right? Like if everyone built best practice pizzas, then Chicago style deep dish pizza wouldn't exist, right? And, and think of how delicious Chicago style deep dish pizza is. No, I like the first part better. <laughs> Either way, the metaphor stands. <laughs> You know, so at some point, right, like there, there's just there's just room there for differentiation. And a lot of folks are going to want that differentiation. And if you can't get that differentiation by outsourcing that to someone else to do that evaluation for you. Yeah. New York, New York pizza all the way for me, buddy. <laughs> I won't hold it against you. All right. So j- let's just summarize that. Like the, the, the chief difference between the product owner and the architect is the understanding of the big picture, like serious deep knowledge about the business and what the business is trying to accomplish and how to articulate all the value ServiceNow can bring to those ambitions and Absolutely. being able to express that as an evangelist at your organization. Absolutely. So from there, right, like what do we what do we talk about? What do we always talk about? Standards and processes, right? Standardizing how you actually work around the platform and in the platform with processes is it is the most underutilized and probably most undervalued thing that you can do to actually differentiate your ServiceNow platform and make it more successful. When it comes down to it, again, and and I think a lot of this is because a good majority of the ecosystem is outsourcing these things to the partner and the partner is bringing in their standards and processes, but those might not necessarily work for you, right? And what do you do if you ever want to change partners, right? I think the days of we have one partner and one partner only are kind of, if they're not behind us, they're approaching behind us. And yes, I think there's a few partners, very few, a handful that can credibly kind of do everything, right? The, the big four consulting, you know, some of the legacy big partners that are still around. If you really think about it, why would I want one mid-sized partner who's probably got like one, like just a new functionality comes out, say when ITBM was new, right? Like, No, I like, I like where you're going here, Duke. It, it, because, I mean, I think that's really the key. Is, is that you're never going to have be in a situation where you're only going to have one partner in your instance now. The instance is just too vast and the knowledge that is necessary to effectively build a successful ServiceNow process and each of the processes that ServiceNow now supports, right? Like it's just so varied. 
that yeah. you're that is going to be very hard for you to find one particular partner who excels, not can do, excels in each one of those processes. And so what you need to have, right, is your own set of standards and your own set of processes on how work is done in and around oh, yeah. your ServiceNow platform, right? So that when you on and offboard new partners, you have the ability to tell them, this is how we work here. Yep. We talked about this in the architecture episodes as well, but there's like huge overlap here. But still, I'd say it's even more a faculty of the product owner than the architect yes in terms of like the architect might set the standards hey we're using team development or or all the rules and regs about uh, update set names or whatever but it's up to the product owner to make sure that there is a process and that new vendors are beholden to that process absolutely but not only on the vendor side because we like talk a lot about the vendor relationship but on this side i think if we broke it down into like five areas where you're going to want standards and processes for a product owner, right? So it's the intake. How does the team bring work in and how do we decide what comes next? Right. Right. And this is where you're going to want to have your like your little ServiceNow council. I did this back at the hospitality industry I was in when I was trying to win political favor for re-architecting the whole thing. And there was a lot of stakeholders. IT was like 20% of all traffic on the ServiceNow platform. And so I just brought everybody to a big table to show them the things that they wanted. It wasn't me versus them. It was them versus them. (laughs) (laughs) I love that metaphor. (laughs) So you're talking about like intake and planning and road mapping. I I consider them two different things, intake and planning. But those are two places where you're going to want to have serious process chops. So you have the organization's confidence that you can balance more demand than you can execute. Yes. And who do you want to be leading that conversation? Is that your architect leading that conversation or is that your product owner leading that conversation? Yeah. It could, like I said, there's tons of overlap, lots of places where it's the same person, but it's, and well, you sure as hell don't want that to be an external vendor. Right. Right. Because they're like, it's just perverse incentives from all the other episodes, perverse incentives. There's nothing that incentivizes them to say no or not yet. Build all the things. Build all the things. <laughs> what do they just we'll put on five more people on the project? Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> and then shout out to Integrity Pro Consulting. Like, just how much change can you handle at one time? <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and your product owner has to know that too. Yeah, right? exactly. Bingo. So intake, planning, that's two areas. Okay. And then we're starting to get into like just how much change can you process at once that comes into like build and deployment. How do we build? And it's not as simple as, oh, we just build update sets and we build, but think more in terms of what's the composition of your team? At what point do you seek external counsel and and, and external labor Do you use your citizen developers, all this kind of stuff? Actually, I'm bleeding into our fourth point here. (laughs) We always, man, we always jump around. It's all good. (laughs) So I guess we'll just go there right now, maybe. When you're talking about the build and deployment, and when you're a a product owner, you have to be really savvy about where you're going to source your capability. Absolutely. I think that's that's really, really key there. And, and look, this is why we have two different hats, right? We got an architect hat and we got a product owner hat. Mm-hmm. Even if we're the same person, we have to make sure that we're cognizant of which hat that we're wearing. And, and Duke, there's a lot of places out there where you can look to find talent. Where do you personally look to find talent? <laughs> 
So actually, a lot of people have been asking me lately to help them find talent. And so I've started this little thing called the Duke Network. If you want to be tapped into the Duke Network, just go to my website, theduke.digital. And I am very, very interested in both connecting people who want to find ServiceNow work and the people who have open spots and desperately need the ServiceNow labor. So plug into the Duke Network for one thing if you want to get your people hired that you need. Um, but, but enough patting myself on the back here. I'm just saying for sourcing the capability, there's always the option of let's just hire somebody out. But you got to think about maybe you're not going to get another hire. And if you do get somebody to hire, what do you want them to do? And you have to be more savvy about that than ever before. I'll give you a quick example. I had a friend come up to me who's in recruiting space and he's like, my customer is asking me for somebody who's got, and it's basically like all the process areas, ITBM, GRC, ITOM, CMDB, and asset. And I'm like, that's not one person. (laughs) Right. And nobody's motivated. And like, if I was all that on ITOM, why on earth? Why on earth would I stop and then become an amateur in GRC? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like if I'm a, if I'm a plumber or if I'm an electrician, why am I going to stop and like take up landscaping? You just, I'm too lucrative being expert at what I am. So it doesn't really work that way where people just go around like headhunting certs for process areas they have no idea about. And if you already have someone who actually does have that expertise through some fluke of life experience, man, you're going to pay a whole lot for them. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. You know, no kidding. So, but, but the business need is still valid. It's like, okay, well, we're planning on rolling out ITBM, GRC and ITOM and whatever, right? We're going to deploy those five things. Now, whose problem is it to solve? The product owner. (laughs) This is definitely the product owner's problem, right? And let me tell you why. Because I've been that jack of all trades guy. Like I've been that architect slash owner, right? And then when my stakeholders come to me and say, hey, we want to do this new thing. You know, my first default thing is I can build that. Yep. <laughs> you know, and you know, I could, but should I? Depending on the time frame, depending on what else I got on my plate, depending on when they need it, depending on how new ones the requirements are for the thing, maybe I should actually be the person building it out, right? But yeah. as an architect, like typically as my first impulse is, oh, I can build that. Mm-hmm. You know, but as the product owner, right? Like you have a different lens. Yep. Your lens is thinking about how do we best enable this business value and how do we get it in the right amount of time and ensure that it is implemented in the way that the business wants it. So, right, like all of these other like check marks, right? Capability. Like there's exactly. For me, there's a hierarchy of mindset. If I'm like a ServiceNow builder, like I was when I first hierarchy of mindset, I like that. That's yeah. Like when I first got my hands on service now, I'm like, holy cow, I can change the course of a multi-billion dollar company with my hands and this tool. And so can we build this? Yes. How fast do you want to build? And I'd start and it was just, could, could we do it? Yes. Let's do it. And all I had to do was stop working on the last thing that I said. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Then we get the architects who are thinking, yes, we can, but how would we do it the right way? All things considered. And then it's the product owner who's saying, wait, where are we going to source this? Because all my builders are building. We didn't just like, oh, it's August and nothing came up. So we're just sitting here. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Yeah, never happens. Your people are going full out. So that, that product owner is basically going back to the roadmap. Okay, what are we going to sacrifice so that we could fit this in? 
or how much will it cost for us to bring in experts to fill the gap for us, or we can't afford them either. So, okay, we're going to wait a quarter to deploy this new thing, but who am I going to train from my team in this new capability? So with sourcing, remember all the tools are available to you. There is bringing on new vendors. There's uh, training your existing team in different disciplines. There's the possibility of citizen developers. I don't think you're going to citizen developer an asset management process, but of all the things that are coming in, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had this catalog item, the blah, 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 blah. Yes, citizen develop that. But it's the product owner ultimately who's got to have their eyes on, okay, how am I going to source the capability for this? And then there's always this one thing that I like to to use like when I have my pseudo product owner hat on, right? When I'm thinking about sourcing capability and the kind of like when this can get done and who can do it fast, cheap, or good pick two, right? And and at the end of the day it's the product owner's job to look at the lens and say, okay, do we need this fast? Do we need it cheap or do we need it good? (laughs) And that directs you and how you actually start sourcing capabilities, who actually is going to build it and when the business gets it. Okay. So we took that tangent. And going back to our standards and processes, that kind of takes care of the build and deploy chunk, right? Absolutely. Another process we want to think about in here is the, well, we call it documentation, but it really goes beyond just documentation. It's the documentation and the life cycle of the entire platform, right? Yeah. Like this is program management, right? Like this is managing the entirety of ServiceNow from the technical stuff to the non-technical stuff, documenting not only how the processes that are built work, but how the processes outside the platform work too, because I might get hit by a truck tomorrow, like Mm -hmm. knock on wood. Um, and, And if... That happens if I, you know, leave for another job tomorrow, the business has to have a way to grab somebody else and throw them into my spot and not have it take a year to get them up to speed and get back moving to 100% capacity. So yep. those, those sorts of things have to be documented and, and regimented. Those processes need to be in place so that when we're moving at scale here, if we hit a bump, right, it doesn't just kill the whole, all of the momentum forever. You said something super profound And if you're still trying to wonder, like, what is the difference between a product owner and an architect? I think maybe the product owner is often more closely related to a program manager than an architect. Absolutely. Because it's like, it's all dollars and cents and budgets and roadmaps and then managing cost schedule scope versus an architect maybe doesn't have to worry about those as often and can just concentrate on like the good of that three value hierarchy you had, right? Absolutely. How do I build it good? Forget cheaper, whatever. So that's a good point is think about product ownership as a type of program management, essentially. Yeah. And you need to manage service now as a program if you expect it to be, as we do here at TechVoyant, right? Sustainable, scalable, and successful. Okay. Another thing I want to harp on here a little bit, and it goes back to, man, back to episode one, where we talked about those architectural virtues huge overlap in the architect's virtues and the product owner's virtues because like you always have to have your eyes on how do I make sure that this platform scales but also that we maximize the the mobility of the solution I'm not talking mobility in terms of mobile phones I'm talking about okay this process used to be managed here and now it's managed here but that could change we love service now, but we can't always assume that everything that we've built is going to stay there permanently, right? 
could be some app comes out that's just imminently better at doing something. Or we find out that that thing that we designed and built just didn't survive first contact with the enemy. And we've got to trash it and start over with something else. Yeah, I mean, let's be real, Duke, right? Like this is technology, right? And technology is fast paced. It changes often. And so the thing that's super popular right now might not be super popular in 18 months, right? We don't foresee that in the service now, right? We did a whole episode about why we don't think that's going to happen. Um, But you still need to be prepared in case it does. And that means as the program manager, right? The product owner, right? Program manager, like that's the, the lens that we're looking through. As that person, you need to be prepared that if all of this blows up, what tool do I now go and grab and drop back into my program to keep this business value churning away for the business that we need, right? Like, because again, this is not about just the tool from the product owner's lens, right? This is about how that tool returns value for the business. So if that tool, for whatever reason, goes away tomorrow, you need to have a set of processes, documentation, procedures, governance built up around this so that you can go grab another tool, drop it in, get it configured and and get folks trained up and keep moving. And I just thought about something too. It might not be worst case scenario where it's like, hey, we're moving to a different tool, but just this idea of, of knowing your own instance. There are so many times where, especially in architecture land, but I think the product owners have to know this even before the architects do is just what is in our instance and how does it work? Which is why just going to crank on that dead horse for a second here. (laughs) (laughs) Why documentation and memorialization of the stuff you've done is absolutely (laughs) critical. (laughs) You have to know what's in your instance and how it was built. I have you ever walked into a, a, a customer and as an architect, as a for architect and You're like, how many integrations do you have? Or where are your integrations? And they're just like, oh, yeah, we have some. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is that. that, Right. We have some. I mean, then you go Google some to try to see what integration that is. (laughs) Like, there are people that literally don't know what's in their instance. Yeah. Lots of them. (laughs) And that's like dangerous, man. Like, imagine if you just said, okay, well, we're going to re architect this part of the platform. Or we're going to re-architect the platform. And you don't even know what you're shutting off, right? We're going to move all this stuff from legacy workflow to flow designer. And you don't know the processes that you're hurting. Dude, I got halfway through a domain separation re-architecture. Only figure out that we didn't know about three apps that they were running. And and then one use case for the domain trust system Mm -hmm. that they didn't know about either. But apparently somebody had built and didn't disclose it. And so as we were re-architecting this thing, drawing up the the, uh, the plan, they were like, but we need X vendor to be able to access Y domains. And we're like, hold on, that wasn't in the original scope. <laughs> yeah. It set us back like a month. Yeah. Like, again, there's overlap between the architect and the product owner in this. I think more minds at this, the better is just understanding the landscape of what you've got out there. I mean, I've been in positions too, like that the first time I did that major re-architecture for the hospitality brand. Yeah. We were already decided and moving and still coming up with groups that had been given special apps to to do stuff on. And it's not stuff that is just like these Mickey Mouse catalog item stuff. It's like legit business values. We had a credit card chargeback process going through the system. Nice. And like, for those of you who don't know what a credit card chargeback is, is like the credit card company will tell you the business. Hey, listen, this many people are disputing charge on their credit cards. 
you have this amount of days to prove that that transaction was legit. And it's not, it's not like you have 60 days. It's like you have 10 days to come up with why these charges are legit. And they come in millions of dollars at a time. <laughs> and so this is just like, you know, like a lot of businesses just write off huge chunks of the revenue. Oh, it's just the cost of doing business, chargebacks. People lie about it. We can't prove it. What do you do? It's a pittance. Yeah. <laughs> millions of dollars. And it's just, oh yeah, that was a team that we build that for. Well, we just about shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> like, we almost shut that off. Are you guys crazy? <sighs> so, Man. I feel no. a lot better though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you got that out. <laughs> but, it, but, but it's true, right? Like without having that overarching documentation, how are you supposed to know what is actually uh, existing in your platform, where the value is being generated, who owns it. If God forbid you need to do a re-architecture or some kind of mass scaling process on your instance, you know, you need to know where the bodies are buried so you don't just get rid of stuff that's being actively used, right? And in this case, you know, responsible for millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of the same place too. New leadership comes in. All they see is the line item. Service now costs what? Right. Yeah, no, we're tearing that out. And it's, it's just, oh, hold on. If you did if you had a bad product owner, that would just be like all those cool systems for non-IT teams suddenly go away. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. and, so and nobody knows until it's off. But a good product owner goes back to that new leadership and says, yeah, but hold on a second. What you're missing is that we support these whole lines of business. Right. <laughs> and so it's totally worth the cost. And this is not just a fancy IT tool. This is yep. not just a cost center, right? Like go. this is the value that we're providing back to the business. This is how we quantify it, right? Like this is why we pay X because we're getting X plus Y back. That is the product owner lens. Those conversations happen. IT leadership changes, you know, by on the whole, right? Pretty often in mm -hmm. the industry. And so there's always a new CIO, but I think the industry averages 18 month tenure for these guys. And so there's always these guys, new, new folks coming in, you know, CIO at that level saying, hey, why are we spending $10 million on IT? Let's find what we can cut. And the first thing they start looking at are, are the tools, right? It's just, it's just what happens. You got to be able to justify your stuff. All right, folks, just to sum that up for you, we talked about the differences between architects and product owners, despite the giant overlap. We talked about understanding your big picture, being able to articulate the value, stepping away from the tech minutia and evangelizing throughout your organization. We talked about the standards and processes you'll have to have nailed down as a product owner, that being intake, planning, building, deployments, documentation, lifecycle, and vendor relationships. And then we talked about sourcing your capability, where to find talent, how to get your teams to do more with less citizen development, cross-training your resources, et cetera. And all this to say that everybody really should have an architecture mindset, but they should also have a product ownership mindset. Wouldn't you say, Corey? Absolutely agree. I think this is a role that's necessary for anyone who is in the industry, who owns a ServiceNow instance or is a, a big or is part of leadership of a ServiceNow instance or platform. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like sales too. The more you know about sales, yeah. the better you are at anything. So, Absolutely. So the more you know as a product owner, the better you're going to be at whatever you do in the ServiceNow industry. So we hope this episode was useful to you, but that's all the time we have for today. 
if you want to reach us, Corey, how would they reach you? You can find me on LinkedIn, you know, under my name, Corey Wesley or at techvoyant.com. We focus on everything ServiceNow related, but we focus specifically on making your ServiceNow experience sustainable, scalable and successful. And I'm Robert the Duke Fedoric. You can reach me at www.theduke.digital, where you can connect to all of this CJ and the Duke content, my YouTube channel, and my mailing list. You can also sign up for news on my upcoming course, Hired, the Definitive Guide to a Profile that Wins ServiceNow Jobs. And also, don't forget to check out our sponsors, our good friends at Integrity Pro Consulting. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.